Buttery. Immortalised in Paul Kelly's iconic song is Australia's most famous drug and alcohol service, a therapeutic community celebrating 50 years. Hi, I'm George Catsey. And I'm Mandy Nolan. And this is the story of this special place and what brings people to their door. Mandy, we're five episodes in and that song still gets me. I know. It's a real goosebumper, that one. It's iconic. I sometimes think it's because it's, you know, it's the classic redemption song and it, it just tells you that important thing you need to know. People can change. It's about hope and it, you know, it goes hard. Yeah, look, the other day I went online and I was just doing some searching around the song and I came across this website called songmeanings.com and I just started to read the comments under Paul Kelly's song To Her Door. I was amazed at how many people referred to the buttery and this one post stuck out. It was by someone who called themselves Lee 11256 and it was posted on September 16, 2016. She wrote, In the early 2000s, I was teaching about alcohol and other drugs to an evening college of aspiring mature age community workers at a TAFE college in Croydon in Melbourne. I was referencing lyrics from a whole range of songs that alluded to drug and alcohol use. Two women in the front row were nudging each other when I talked about this song and the reference to the buttery. After the class, they stayed behind and told me that the song was about a maid of Paul Kelly. Her, as in her door, was one of the women. And Paul Kelly's mate was her ex. I don't remember her name or what she looked like, but whenever I hear this song, so typical of Kelly's storytelling genius, I think of the evening that I met her by some weird coincidence. That's really amazing. I'd love to interview her, but you know what's even more amazing? It's kind of sad because it was her ex. He got to the door and she went, nah. Nah, I know, <laughs> I know, I know, I know. And um, she was at this tape college just, you know, and there it all was. Anyway, it was just a fantastic coincidence. Oh, at least she was studying drug and alcohol. Totally. Full circle. The program at the Buttery is more than following an abstinence model. A lot of the program is about personal development, learning how to cooperate, how to compromise and how to cook. In making this podcast, it's been important to include the stories of current residents at the Buttery. Mandy met with Ryan, a city boy suddenly immersed in nature. I started abusing substances when I was 14. Um, you know, like it was um, you know, just mainly weed and alcohol at that stage. Um, you know, um, got through high school all right. Um, then I got into party drugs. Um, what do you mean? Red party drugs like MD, FC, bit of speed, things like that. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I was using it mainly to party and alcohol was the main problem. Um, and then I, you know, went to uni and my world sort of um, changed a lot. Like I didn't have much responsibility and I just um, I went through a bad breakup and I just sort of went nuts on, on drinking mainly. Mm-hmm. Um, that ended me in a, up in a rehab when I was 20 um, in Melbourne. Um, I'm from Melbourne. I did that rehab. Um did what I was told and, um, you know, I got seven years clean. Um, then in you know, 2017, um, no, I was in a, wasn't in a very good relationship. Uh, I'd stopped going to meetings, stopped doing my program, compulsive gambling. Um, 
lots of things were coming out sideways. Um, and eventually, yeah, I picked up a drug. Um, you know, I was picked up benzos, which had been a problem for me when I was younger as well, um, which led me back to drinking, which led me to, you know, five years of chronic relapsing now. So the decision to come here was prior to coming here. So, you know, since um, August, June 21, like I've done five, six-week programs. So, like I've just gone in, relapsed the day I got out, gone in, relapsed two days after I got out. Wow. Rinse and repeat. Um, And then over that time I slowly lost like – you know, relationships, my job, not resigned, but, you know, um, uh, you know, stable housing, financial situation, um, yeah, financial insecurity, you know, had you know, legal issues, car accidents, lost assets, yeah, broke down with family, um, and I just kept going, going in, doing the program, coming back out, um, and then I decided in – I went in back into a rehab in October 20, uh, 2022 and, uh, like, I was really – I was fucked. Like, I was so broken. And I said to my, uh, my my counselor at the time, like, just what do you think I should do? Like, I'll do whatever. Yeah, like, I hadn't been in that. I'll do whatever it takes for a long time. Um, and she just said, like, I think you should go to the buttery. Um, I said, like, all right. I knew nothing really. Uh, and then you started the phone calls? Yeah. So then I started the phone calls in rehab. Um, and how long did it take Ryan to get in? Uh, four, October, November, December. Four months, just yeah. over four months. That's commitment. Yeah, yeah, the weekly phone calls. Um, and I had a relapse in that period in between um, the rehab and I had to keep making those phone calls yeah. while, while using, which is the so difficult, but the last thing you want to do is call. Do they ask you in those phone calls if you're an active addiction? No, nah, not that I remember. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's just you're still on the list. That you still have the intention, on. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I just got myself back into rehab and I stayed there until I came here. So I went bed to bed. Yeah. Um, yeah, never been to anything Yeah, like so how, how long have you been here now? Uh, three and a half months. So tell me what it was like arriving here because you like you said you've never been anywhere you're a city boy that yeah. turns up <laughs> yeah this isn't the byron bay experience that most people come here before. no this is had you been to byron bay before? no i've never been past oh, actually that's wrong i've been to the gold coast and a family holiday but i've never been past sydney you know yeah. so i actually didn't really grasp where i was going like i knew it was north yeah um i, I was um yeah i am a city boy so the first thing that struck me was like where the fuck am I? Um, <laughs> I remember getting off the plane at Ballina and it was so hot because I came in summer. Oh, yeah. And I'd come from Melbourne. I was wearing, like, trackies and a puffer jacket and um, it was so hot. Did they pick you up? Yeah, they picked me up. Um, it was so thick. Um, yeah, I, I'm trying to remember. Okay, that first day was, re- was like, where am I? Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. What is this? And um, I remember they – so they you drop in your stuff, you do the assessment, and then you leave your bags, and then you don't get shown to your room or anything. You know, and I just wanted to see where I was living. So you had to go into class and try to meet people and everything. And, um, yeah, I just remember thinking – I remember in the first few days being like, I don't know if I can do this. 
like, you know. Did it feel hard? Yeah. Like, I want to get, yeah, like, you know, I want recovery, but I want it this much. <laughs> like, honestly, it was, um, you know, 30 degrees at night. I had this little fan on me. Um, I was just like, you know. Okay, like, what have I done? Yeah, what have I done? Like, you know, I've been begging for four months to come here. Now I'm here. And they don't uh, even have air conditioning. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Um, What's it for you? Because, I mean, there's a giant goanna that walks around here. Yeah. You actually have to do that. I saw you pushing the wheelbarrow. You're doing gardening work. Yeah. Is that something you've ever done before? Yeah, mum used to make me garden I did. every Sunday morning. So oh, well. it's a nightmare reminder of, you know. How do you feel growing. doing that part of the therapeutic community of having to do the, 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 the chores basically? I'm all right with the chores, yeah, the responsos and yeah. whatnot. Is that the responsibilities? I love it, the responsos, yeah. I've never <laughs> understood that. I learnt, though, you stop questioning, yeah. Um, the responsos, I don't mind those. Like, I get it, but I really struggle with the gardening, you know. Yeah. You know, that's the, you know, I grind through that. And I'd never seen a guana until I came here, so. Wow. You're quite, you're quite comfortable with it now. Yeah, yeah, they're cool. Yeah, made friends. So... So as far as like, what do you? What are the experiences? I guess for you having done rehab before, mm. that's different in a therapeutic community. Is it is it a model that you feel works for you? I think, um, yeah. Like the biggest thing about it has been for me so far is that you know, like I'm accountable to everyone here, and um, the whole like the community is expected to hold up the mirror for you. You're like, mm. um, so the people you're living with, people that are experiencing you all day, every day, you know, yeah. are, are helping you do the work, not just that one hour that you sit with that counsellor a week or that three hours they see you throughout the week. You know, people I'm friends with also giving me the support, you know, is it hard taking the feedback sometimes? Yeah, yeah, very sensitive. So. <laughs> yeah, I could imagine it would be like be like your skin's off. Yeah, I'm like a whole bunch of addicts, and we're all. I'm generalising, but we're all very sensitive, you know. Um, you know, the ego takes lots of hits. That's yeah. for sure. But um, what are some of the things, if you don't mind me asking, that you've had to accept that people have said or feedback you've had that's been hard to take from? Oh, um. Even early on. Yeah, that I have control issues. Like no one wants, you know, I, I know that, but then when someone else tells you it's all, you know, it becomes real. Isn't it? And it's kind of, you know, to be expected around compulsive behaviours mm. is that every person that's sat here and I've talked to have talked about their control issues. That's interesting. Which is interesting, isn't it, because substance abuse is about losing control. Mm. Like you almost hand the control over to the substance. Yeah. But you're having to, um, you're having to kind of, you know, in a sense, you don't have to worry about control. You control issues if the substance controls you. But when you have to deal with them without anything in between you and the world. Yeah. Well, I know. sort of find like when I'm in active addiction, yeah, like the using means I don't have to think about control. Mm. It's almost like a surrender to mm. any control in my life. And then when I get clean, it comes back. Yeah. Tenfold. But, you know, here it's little things like, you know, you can't wash your clothes when you want. Someone else washes your clothes. Someone else washes your clothes? Yeah. So yeah. one person in each house does everyone's laundry each week. Oh. 
Yeah. How do you feel about it? I'd be weird about people touching my It's weird. <laughs> it's really weird. And then also means, you know, you can't just decide, like, I'll put a quick load on whatever. You have to ration your clothes, yeah, because not everyone comes here with, Yeah. you know. Um, that that is that is actually a real that's a real surrender of your washing to someone. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, someone cook one person in the house cooks every night. Yeah. So you're not cooking, eating, feeding yourself. One person's doing the food shopping. Um, all those things. Yeah. Like it's. Yeah, so you're either in charge and, and responsible, or you're having to just receive. Yeah. And, and get your needs met where you can, but then also just accept. You know. Yeah. Um. Are they the bigger challenges for you, some of those? Yeah. What about time to yourself? Do you miss – I know isolation and, and um, a tendency to, I guess, isolate is a probably another mm. common thread for people that have been and come from active addiction. Yeah. Is that something you crave when you're here is do you miss being alone? Because do you get much alone time? Because you're pretty yeah. well with people all the time. Yeah, I, I miss being alone, watching TV, what I want, eating what I want, you know. Like, I, I miss that, like, your own downtime. Mm. Um, yeah, it's like there's you're forced out of isolation in a lot of ways here. Like, you've got your room, but there's nothing to do in your room except read. You know? Then there's only the people and cards or games to play within the lounge room. And then you can go up and watch TV with the rest so of the community. what do you do? What do you do in the downtime? That's what I'm interested. Do you just talk? Yeah, it's a lot of talking. Yeah, it's like visiting the houses. So there's, you know, four houses, three others to go to. So um, if we're not doing meetings, so, you know, Monday nights we're out for meetings. Tuesday night we're out for meetings. Is that out in Jabaran Bay? Or yeah, and Bangalore? Bangalore. Yeah, and then Wednesday night we have to be at home. So from 6 o'clock onwards is curfew and we have a house meeting. Um so it's really over the weekend and later in the week, um, get bored. That's what yeah. we do. Like, um, How do you deal with the boredom? Because boredom is one of those things that can be very antagonising to, pe- yeah. to people um, when you have substance issues. Like boredom's a real trigger. What I've done and what I see other people around here, eat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a lot of food goes missing on the weekend. <laughs> Not missing. A lot of food gets consumed on the weekend. Um, oh, you know. Sleeping, mm-hmm. um, exercise, yeah, fair bit of exercise gets done. Um, cooking, you yeah. know, cooking takes up part of that eating as well. Reading and then socializing, like you know, I've played cards here for two hours on end. You know, I've played chess. I don't know how many games of chess. You know, yeah. hundreds of games of chess yeah. since I've been here. Um, but it, I do find myself like want waiting for eight forty-five Monday morning to get back into program. Yeah, yeah, like get, yeah, like I'm ready to go again. Enough yeah. sitting in my own head. Because unstructured time is probably harder than structured time sometimes. Absolutely, yeah. I struggle without – like I've struggled no, – I struggle in normal day-to-day life outside here without structure. Mm-hmm. Um, outside of here, what did you do in the world? Were you – I worked in finance right. for a university. Yeah. Yeah, so obviously you work in very structured systems. Yeah, like nine to five, yeah. set breaks with set jobs and, you know. Um, so what are some skills, Ryan, that you've developed here in the therapeutic community of Buttery that you that are new to you? Like what are, are you aware of 
some of the skills that you're learning? Yeah, um, I, I think the ones that are new to me, most challenging is um, probably having relationships that aren't built around people pleasing, mm. you know, like giving you know, hard support um, to people that are your friends, you know, people that you're then going to go have dinner with. Yeah. You know, um, Oh, it's really hard, isn't it? Like yeah. people or setting boundaries or getting hard at saying, you know, we're saying something that you worry might upset someone. Absolutely. Like I say things, you know, my mode is like I say it because, you know, I want them to hear it and then automatically go into like a, a shame spiral about it. And then I want to run up to them afterwards and make sure they're okay. You know, like I just find it such a battle to, um, yeah. And so do they set to hear, are there, are there boundaries set around, obviously that's part of the process here is that you give each other these reflections, mm. but you're not allowed to hug. No hugging. Yeah. And is that uh, hard for you, the no hugging? Are you a huggy person? I am a huggy person. Um, you might be, I'm kind of feeling you look like a huggy person. Love a good hug. I know, and I went, Ryan um, looks like a huggy person. <laughs> I'm not going to hug you, but, you know. And I'm a good hugger. Yeah, but you're a good hugger. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, but, you know. You're going to really enjoy having a hug when you leave here. Yeah. I've and had, the great thing is you can have a hug and it's not busting. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> um, the other one is, you know, we use I feel statements here. Yeah. And actually um, speaking when affected in the moment about something which might seem trivial, but, like, I'm getting angry about, or, you know, like tiny things, you know how much milk someone's drinking. Like, yeah. Yeah. You know, I don't speak to it. And then I don't know how to speak to it. And then it builds up and it's been a day and they're doing it again. And I'm like, ah, like I find that really hard. Yeah. Cause you, if you drink all the milk, there mm. is no more milk till you get the shopping. Isn't that right? Yeah. So I feel pissed off when you drink all the milk because we have to go without, like that is not an unreasonable thing to, no. to feel, but as something when you're prone to people pleasing and you don't want to upset someone you live with. That's it. You just suffer. I go into like that harm in approach. Yeah. Like when really I should just be speaking to it. Um, but a lot of those things are, isn't it? You must be finding that too, those conditioned behaviors that we have from our families and from how we've been brought up, which is no, don't speak out because mm. that would be rude. Why don't you just harbor resentment? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for, for a week. Yeah, don't rock the boat, yeah? That one. Yeah, yeah. 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 Which, um, which, which is um, because so they're new skills. Yeah. Do you feel like your life's going to be different with those? I'm not, not even talking, I mean, that you know, when you go out, out of here and you're back in the community, mm. um, that it's not just about using, not using substances. It's about Ryan's going to come out with a whole lot of, interpersonal skills yeah that you didn't have before yeah i do feel that yeah like i definitely have felt a change in my time here about how i interact with people um and a difference to this recovery than my first one you know um yeah yeah um yeah like the ability to be assertive i don't know if i've ever had really had it um so, and I think I'm going to, there's many more skills 
to learn. Yeah. How long are you? Do you have a plan about you? Are you in stage two of the program? Um, I just got into it. Yeah, on Tuesday. So I've got another three months of that, and then six weeks of transition, and then touch wood, I get to the transition house and. So you'll go to the um, halfway house in yeah, Byron. That's the plan. Yeah. Great. Sounds like you've just really committed to the whole, the whole shebang. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, do you think that's? It seems like for people that get the program. It's the surrender to the program, not churning through it, going, got to get out. Yeah. It's uh, not jail. It's not, you know. There's actually a lot, a lot to love about being here. That's the truth. Like, oh, it's, yeah. it's What do you love? Have a look out there. Look, it is beautiful. Yeah, it's absolutely beautiful. Um, nature's beautiful. Um, the birds. You can got, little tweety birds. The whole place has character, yeah. Like, yeah. every corner of the place has character. Yeah. You know, has some defects of character as well, but... Well, it's, you're not walking into – it's not a clinical setting. No. And it's also not a hotel. Mm. Yeah, that's definitely that one. <laughs> <laughs> I've been into the rooms. Yeah. Yeah, you have a look. Yeah, they're very they're, – they're very, um, would you say, unadorned or they're simple. Basic needs are met. And there's nothing more than that. No. Um, it's This is not – this is not um, rehab for the stars, but you know what I mean? Like it's not one of those high-end private, but there's something beautiful and that, like they're beautiful. You're in the most beautiful environment. Yeah. I guess like you're saying the surrender, like it has been to me to really, I struggled when I first got here because like I was comparing to other rehabs, mm. like, you know, as, yeah, you, imagine you, as do. you do. You go like, yeah. How did it stack up against other rehabs? What were you um, thinking? I was just thinking, like, it's it's ridiculous. Like, it's got ridiculous rules. Yeah, I've heard about the rules. Yeah. What, what rule did you find the most ridiculous? Um, oh, what did I find most ridiculous? We have had um, no padding dogs. Yeah, no padding dogs is a big one. That sucks. That really sucks. I reckon you'd pat a dog if you saw one. Um, I'm not saying you'd break the rule, but I'm saying you'd be. Some people don't pat dogs, but yeah, no, I'm a I'm a patter. I'm a dog, yeah, yeah. dog patter. Um, well, like I knew there'd be no stealing, but I didn't know that no stealing would be so hard. Yeah, and uh, what's considered stealing? Yeah, and as someone who has used stealing to get by, <laughs> um, I found that quite jarring. Um, I was just thinking of the rules. Then not being able to go to toilet by yourself on outings. Oh, okay. Like if you're in P1, you have to ask a P2 to take you to the toilet. Like even if we're in the movies, oh. you have to ask. So all the all the rules about asking for help, yeah, asking someone to turn the TV on for you, asking to get you used to doing things like that. Yeah, that's painful. Yeah. So yeah. have you? So in that instance, have you not gone to the toilet? <laughs> Um, <laughs> when you wanted to go or you've gone? No, I've Denmark, sucked it up it. and asked. And, yeah. Yeah, but now now I'm graduating. Now people can ask me. Oh, you can. So when you're in P2, can you go to the toilet by yourself? Yeah. Oh, my God. You're all grown up. Yeah, you must just go like, <laughs> I'm going to. Do you go to the movies much? Uh, Once a month. Yeah. Yeah. That must be a significantly good outing. Yeah. So, yeah, popcorn, soft drink. Like if you, you would not want to miss out on that night. No. We go um, popcorn and soft drinks Sunday mornings. Yeah, uh, like lunchtime, 
Um, only thing, the only downfall of the movies is that we as community vote on what we see. I was going to say, how do you decide the movie? Yeah, and it's just majority wins no matter what. So, so yeah. <laughs> yeah. How do you feel when you have to go see a movie you don't want to watch? I was I was angry. Yeah, that's how I feel. <laughs> Getting yeah. angry now thinking about it. What did you have to – can I can oh, ask what movie you Mafia watching? Mama with Tony Collette. <laughs> it was putrid. <laughs> Oh, and I tried the whole like open-minded, you know, he opened up, it's just, you know, we have to cook for what, 25 people, you know, the cooking roster. Yeah, what's so that like? Was that, had you, were you very competent at cooking? Oh, like I can handle myself in a kitchen, but I've never cooked for 25 people in an hour. You've got one hour. That's hard as a people pleaser. Yeah. I would be going, this, what if it tastes like shit? Yeah, it's very anxiety. People will tell, will tell you. Yeah, and um, like I've never eaten anything that wasn't edible here. That's Something's good. better than others, but everything's been. What, what's 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 your most successful dish where people went right? Oh, that was amazing. Well, in the house or yeah. in the yeah, um, oh, either in the house or for the twenty. Oh no, like I've got a really solid roast game. Have you know, you? roast vegetables, yeah. roast meat. That's good. Yeah, so okay. that's just. Consistently, what Get I Ryan call. on the roast. Yeah, that's what I do. That's my <laughs> thing, you know. <laughs> that's good. So tell me what, just to finish up, what you're looking forward to when you leave. I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to some life in Byron, not in these, hmm. this boundary. Um, like you know, I've never been up here, never been really around this part of the world at all. Like I've seen. You know, two beaches up here that they take. Beaches are amazing. Yeah, I'm looking. I'm looking forward to visiting some friends in Melbourne, mm-hmm. or even having some friends visiting. Have you gone with? Um, I guess that's one thing too, isn't it? It's about contact. Like, what kind of contact can you have, or have you had with friends and family? Is it obviously minimal? Yeah, so you can't have mail for six weeks, mm-hmm. um, and you know, I'm sending mail from here to Melbourne, so it has to go, like, here to Casino, to oh, yeah, Sydney. Way, to, yeah. yeah, so um, no mail for six weeks. So, you know, I've been able to send letters to two friends and got a couple of letters from my mum. But the, other than those four letters, I've had no outside contact other than that. Um, but now I'm in P2. Um, I'll be able to ask for, um, you know, I've got to ask the community whether they're happy with me calling my mum. And then I'll be able to start making fortnightly phone calls to her. So, yeah, not much contact at all. Well, fantastic. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks no worries. David Dalton is the program coordinator for the Butteries Maintenance to Abstinence program. 26 years ago, he was a resident. While it's not a prerequisite, having lived experience or being a peer worker offers a unique insight for counsellors and support staff. I was a resident myself here 26 years ago. So in 1997, I did the whole program. So back then it was a nine-month program. Um, It's now been shortened to seven and a half months um, program. So, yeah, completed the program then and then... Uh, sometime after completing the program, I went to university because I'd never studied before. So I did a um, bachelor degree in social science and then I moved on 
um, and went into a social worker um, degree. And then whilst I was doing that, I started working here as a, um, well, RCW, that's residential care worker, so overnight weekend work. So I was doing, um, yeah, so some overnight shifts. And then towards the end of my degree, I was called in um, by the councillors here to help fill out when people, when caseworkers were away to take, you know, certain topic groups and to be a bit of a fill-in for a while. And that went on for a little while and over a period of about four years. And then in 2013, the opportunity came up. Um, the buttery had always been a completely abstinent model of, of service delivery, um, but there was some funding was by, found by Barry Evans at the time there to do a maintenance to abstinent program. So there's people who were on uh, buprenorphine, which is a maintenance drug, to come in and um, yeah, reduce off in, within a three-month program. So I was approached by Barry to come along and help set up that program and which was quite um, humbling experience. I had a lot of respect and I still do have a lot of respect for Barry um, at that time. And so I came on board with a co-worker. So I brought along the knowledge of how the therapeutic committee works and having been through him myself and my co-worker who I helped set up the program with, he did all the logistics and the funding side of things. And then um, in July, um, 2013, the MTAR program started, and um, so yeah, in a couple of weeks, we'd been we've been operating for ten years. So it's been a bit of it's been a big game, a game changer. And what yeah. what substances does that work for? So all opiate based substances like your heroin, oxycodone, pain painkillers. Alcohol? No, no, you wouldn't use it for alcohol. Right. Yeah, so any opiate based, yeah. Although we have had some people who have been on meth or ice that have been, but that's rare. But I think, yeah, that's, yeah, I'm not sure why they've been put on that. So how important was it, David, for someone like yourself, like you have the lived experience of what it's like to um, go through the program and all the challenges. How much does that inform the way you work with people and the way you lead your teams? Every day is a little bit different, but Monday to Friday there's a fairly structured uh, routine. So it's um, we start off with staff having handover from night staff at 8.30, whereas the residents go into the room and they have their own small business meetings, so to speak, like working out, you know, who's going to what NA or AA fellowship tonight, who's on what bus, so they do that. And then we go in at 9 o'clock for what we call morning meeting and that goes for an hour and a quarter and then there's a break. They have half an hour morning tea and then it's into another group um, from 10.45 to 11.45 and that could be anything from a gender group, a um, psychoeducational topic group, it could be anything from working like boundaries, guilt and shame, anger management, journal writing, so it'll be some sort of group. Uh, then there's another group after that and that could be um, what we call, for example, like an awareness group, so people just given an awareness on a certain behaviour that they've acted on previously or they may still be acting out of, uh, acting out on, and also 
that's parallel with new residents. New residents do a, a little bit of a different thing for the first three weeks, like they do all their grounding, psychoeducational groups like communicable diseases, nicotine replacement therapy group, um, rules and guidelines. So there's a really basic program in the first three weeks for the new residents. And then the afternoon it could it'll be uh, could be another psychoeducational topic group, um, could be awarenesses, and then the last um, uh, that's after lunch, and then there's another um, session after afternoon. Well, we call it afternoon break. We don't have afternoon tea anymore. Um, it could be um, a life story. So somebody's been here week. Week 16, they tell their life story. So it's basically their life story. I was born in and this happened and then this happened and then I got here. So that's an hour. So um, some other days, like Wednesdays, there's yoga at 3.30 for an hour and a quarter. Um, Mondays, there's two periods of art. We have an art teacher come in. Monday afternoon, there's choir. Friday afternoon, we finish it a little bit early um, and they go down to Bangalore Park for um, kick the soccer ball around for a couple of hours and in summer we go to the beach. Uh, so Got yeah. a very full program. It is a very full program. And then on weekends there's house clean Saturday mornings. There might be a farewell party that night and then Sunday is always their outing. So they'll it's usually off to the beach to Broken Head or Brunswick Heads or once a month they have a paid outing, So which is usually the movies at Ballina. So, so tell me too, David. I'm I'm interested a little bit about the life story. How does what what how does that work when people tell the life story? How does that impact that person telling it and the people hearing it? Uh, yes, that's why we don't do it until it's uh, week sixteen. So they've been here for a few months, um, well, three four months. So they've got a chance, you know, an opportunity to know their peers quite well in that time. Um, and yeah, talking about that, it, it can be quite, it can be re traumatizing sometimes. It's very, usually quite emotional because they're tapping into, yeah, going right back to their childhood, through their teens, through their adulthood. Depends where, how old they are, of course. You know, family, children. So, and then, like, so they tell their life story for about, 30 to 40 minutes, and then the rest of the group, the 20 minutes is devoted to getting hearing support from their peers. So a lot of their peers' support might be, I, I understand what you're saying, I've been there. or And then afterwards their caseworker always checks in with them, how are you feeling, are you okay, do you need to ground? So, yeah, it is a crucial, it's a pivotal moment of their journey at the Buttery, their life story. How many staff are here yeah. to make this happen? <laughs> so on side of the there's... Uh, on site here at Binnaburra, there's um, so there's myself and my um, co-team team leader Larissa, who's the coordinator of the therapeutic community. So we sort of walk side by side, and then um, and then we have five caseworkers. Um, so they each have a caseload of five to six people, um, and at the moment we're at. 28 residents, which we haven't been at 28 for a long time. Like through the, for the last few years, we've been struggling, you know, 16 to 20. At one time during COVID, we went down to seven. So it was, um, 
yeah, just getting our numbers back up and we've finally got back up to, yeah, 29 at the moment. Um, serve caseworkers and then we have an intake team, we have admin, um, admin and we also, the therapeutic committee, we also have our own admin officers. So Jo, so she does, you know, all the Centrelink reporting and takes them to appointments and goes to the pharmacy and gets some medications. So the admin person we've just recently employed. So because we were sort of doing a lot of that. So but what we found is like people arriving here and <laughs> seems to be a lot more complex needs these days, like a lot of court stuff, a lot of children, like, you know, children. Has that changed custody, over yeah. the years? So it, it has changed a lot. When I was here, like, yeah, the, the majority, probably three quarters of the population were, yeah, come from heroin addiction, had either been living in squats, didn't like, t- didn't turn up with two suitcases of clothes. You turned up with a stripy bag if you were lucky um and there were yeah a few yeah the the other 25% was alcohol but um but over the years and most recently seems to be there's a lot more presentation of alcoholism and of course the meth ice and there's not that many heroin addicts turning up anymore and that's why the maintenance program we do take obviously well not obviously but yeah their main drug of choice would have been, yeah, an opiate-based um, drug, whether it be heroin or prescription painkillers, so on. So, but, yeah, the dynamic and population has changed and it seems like the caseworkers, are, yeah, we're just <laughs> pretty much run off our feet. Yeah, like dealing with, with and once upon a time also you weren't allowed um, or yeah, you weren't allowed to come into the butter unless all your court stuff was dealt with, whereas now we do have because, yeah, sometimes they turn up and we just find out. <laughs> <laughs> they haven't been completely honest in their intake um, and we're, oh, so you've got this, So, but, of course, we're not going to turn them away and say, well, go and deal with that and come back. But, yeah, and a lot of, yeah, yeah, children and, you know, like, Child care issues, and that—that's a lot. Like um, the organisation at, Li- at Lismore, um, we've been doing a bit of work with as well with children in care, and yeah, and uh, people arriving with a lot more Medicaid. I, I, I arrive with nothing. Like I didn't even have any Panadol, I don't think. But people arriving with a combination of antidepressants and and these. Um, and like who when I arrived here, who could afford magnesium tablets and you know all sorts of people arrive with a con, like a bag full of supplements like that's a new thing as well. So absolutely. So I yeah. guess you've got to work it work out um, what stays and what goes. Yeah, yeah. What they need and what they don't. David, yeah. in all of yeah. this, what I'm really curious about is. What kind of skill set? What what are the what do you need as someone who works here now? What are the mm. kind of skills that you need your counselors and program coordinators and support workers to have? Yeah. Um, so <laughs> yeah, good question. Starting from the big emotion. question. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Essentially, like 
meeting, first of all, yeah, the caseworkers on the day when people arrive, they meet with them and one is go through their medications and two, just a little bit of an outline on what's ahead for the net. We don't sort of try and we don't look at the whole seven and a half months, right, for the next three weeks, this is what you're going to be doing. So the skill set is holding people, listening to people, um, um Group facilitators, because a lot of our work here is as as therapeutic community, the model we operate on is community as method. So, yeah, one one addict helping another, or one alcoholic helping another. Um, so, f- group facilitation is yeah a skill set that yeah our caseworkers need. So to hold a group, notice what's going on. So so and so is not paying it. What's going on there, or is there something going on between these two here? And yeah, so group facilitation skills because most of it, what we do is group work. So also once a fortnight, each caseworker has a two-hour caseload with just the people on their caseload. So that's more of an intimate setting. So each person gets you know, 20, 30 minutes to really share what's going on for them and get feedback. So, you know, to hold a caseload as well and then do all the other things like phone calls to pawnbrokers to, you know, stop yeah. that being lost and all that sort of stuff. Well, you can't even imagine so sometimes the, the loose yeah. ends of, yeah. of, of yeah. people's lives when they've yeah. lost control. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and that's often what people can't face. And it's often yeah. what I guess drives people back to picking up again when they get, if you get outside or you go back into the community, outside sounds like um, we're in prison, but if you go back into the community and none of that's been resolved. Yeah. yeah. It's that, overwhelming. Yeah. And if they're overwhelmed, then they'll use. So, yeah. So a lot of that. You know, like the, the, we do the work development orders so they can get some of their fines if they live in New South Wales, paid off while they're here. So that's something that they're not burdened with that when they leave here. But to go back to your question about what skill they're like multi-skill set. <laughs> it sounds like <laughs> it. Like honestly, yeah. And sometimes it's just, yeah, you hit the ground and you deal with what you're given and, Yeah. How do you, um, I mean, I guess showing up every day for work too is is having this enormous compassion but also Mm. having your instincts and intuition open and and really, I guess, being a keen listener and really reading the subtext sometimes more than what's being said. Um, Is is it? Is it hard work being at the cold face or do you find it, do you need, do do workers burn out more or you find that the therapeutic model is actually a good support for workers as well as people in the program. Yeah, I think it's a good um, support for workers as well. So as a team, like we've, I've just come from our team supervision, so we've just had supervision with an external clinical supervisor for two hours where we essentially do what the community does. So we speak to our feelings, we, yeah, challenge each other, we and if there's space and um, we make room for challenge, like a couple of residents might be particularly challenging. So we talk about them with the clinical supervisor, how best to work with that person. But, but yeah, we support each other in, in, in that space as well. And we try to, um, 
yeah, replicate what we ask our residents to do. But going back, yeah, you're right, you know, compassion is most definitely something we need to have on board, intuition. Yeah, and I'm happy to say that the team we have at the moment has taken a while because COVID, people were moving on and, yeah, there was a mix-up in our um, caseworker team too, but we've got a... pretty solid team at the moment we're all sort of performing now because you go through that stage of you know storming norming and so on so I think um, we're at that stage where we're performing now and supporting each other and that's what we just spoke about in our supervision so it's a really supportive environment because we have the knowledge of how a therapeutic community model works so and we often say well that's what we ask of them that's what we need to do. You know, I imagine you've seen some pretty amazing transformations of people's lives. Mm. What's one that stands out for you as one that, um, you know, that you've kind of hung on to or that you've, you know, were, were surprised by how far they went considering of, you know, maybe from how they were feeling when they arrived? Mm. Just this week, yeah, I... Um Somebody who's just been employed as a peer worker for one of our new programs. Um, I came into work Monday and there were two people here and just, well, one recently had um, done part of our program, but one had completed our program about four or five years ago. And I said, what are you doing? Oh, we've just been employed as peer workers with the new DAP program. And um, and I said, wow. And, and she said to me, she said, oh, you look proud. I said, I am proud because I was, um, she went through the MTAR program and I still say to her, you were one of the most unwell people I've seen arrive. So this girl arrived, she'd sit in a group and honestly like a mouse. Um, she had the black hoodie and the, the black trackie with the hoodie on, pale, probably, I don't know, like very probably 55 kilos or something and just so timid, so scared, shaking, like from a life of using that, you know, everything would have happened in and not knowing what she was coming in for and what was it, what, what expected or what was expected of her to, you know, going through the whole program, staying in recovery and now working, coming back to work for the batteries. So that's something that just happened this week. Oh, that's and a proud moment. That's yeah. a great moment. It's a win. Yeah. It is, totally. So for people mm. that don't know, the Safe Haven is a, um, a place where you can just drop in yep. for mental health yep. or counselling yep. or yep. Um, it's... They may, may need to contact their insurance company. They can use a phone. They can use a computer. It's, yeah, it's, they can have a cup of, cup of tea and a biscuit and have a chat. They'd had a long chat, so Mandy asked David to tell her in one sentence what he felt the buttery had done for him. I really, I believe that the buttery, you know, gave me my life back. That's great, David. Thank you so much. Yeah. David talked about getting his life back. For Caden, a First Nations man who attended the buttery in 2015, the program was really a turning point for him and his life too. Caden accessed the buttery through the Merit Programme, This is a voluntary program for adults who have problematic alcohol and other drug use. It gives people charged with a crime the chance to address their underlying drug problem and free themselves from the drug crime cycle. 
A successful merit treatment plan will remove or substantially alleviate a participant's dependence on illicit drugs and improve their health and social functioning. I was court ordered, uh, I was on merit program and um, I had to do the um, eight months into the uh, rehab. But prior to that, I was trying to get into the rehab because my life wasn't um, running the best, I would say. So um, I needed needed help and I didn't know how or what that looked like. So um, I suggest- So that worked for you, the court-ordered program, actually? Because does that, in recovery, to get into recovery from the conversations that I've had with people, it doesn't always work when you actually are forced to do it, but you were obviously ready. Yeah, man, prior to me actually um, getting to that point through the court order system, like I was I was willing, you know, um, to, to change my life. I mean, I was in a space initially was around um, my mental health was very, you know, declined. I was very suicidal. So it wasn't necessarily for me the, the drugs and the alcohol in hindsight. It was the underlying sort of stuff and why I use drugs and alcohol in the first place. So um, so for me, yeah, I was uh, ready, but then also there was that incentive also to um, complete the program as, as well. Um, mm. How did it help you, Caden, deal with the kind of underlying issues? Uh, how it helped me was to identify some of the things and what that actually looked like. I mean, for me, I just wanted to know, why I've done some of the things I've done and, and why I behaved some of the, the way that I did. So for me, it was started to come into um, relationship with with myself again. Um, and, yeah, to understand, like I said, why I've done the things I did. It didn't justify why I've done those things. But um, in saying that, I could have some understanding and some empathy of where that sort of stuff stemmed from. Um, and that was uh, tied in around a lot of that uh, trauma um, let alone trying to navigate as a, for me, a young Indigenous sort of man, navigate between um, the two worlds, that cultural sort of lens and then also, um, you know, that Western sort of framework and what, just where I belonged and my identity in a sense. And did you feel really supported in the program at the Buttery? Did you sort of walk in there and particularly, mm. you know, culturally supported that there was an understanding, you know, of, you know, you know, maybe things that were different in your experience to non-Indigenous people in in that setting? Uh, transparency, like in terms of a cultural sort of lens back then, um, I didn't necessarily, there wasn't much work that was focusing in around that. And for me, I didn't necessarily feel comfortable. It wasn't that I didn't feel comfortable sharing those sort of things. It was more around the fact that, um the workers or the people that were in there at that time, there wasn't any other Indigenous sort of people. So I didn't really sort of touch on that sort of aspect. But for me, it was more around the um, low self-worth, anxiety, depression and all those sort of things that attached to that sort of stuff, let alone my other traumas. But um, it doesn't necessarily mean the fact that that stuff wasn't heard in saying mm. that as well. So, like, if I did need to talk about that, um, that people were there to listen and sometimes that's all we sort of need as well. But there is that also cultural um, aspect for me where it's um, having that cultural understanding in terms of what actually that looks like and the effects of 
um, what that has on, for example, someone like myself um, and other Indigenous sort of people. Mm. And I find that through the work that I've been doing um, with the rap programs and, and communication with the battery now, there's definitely more of a um, outreach sort of service in and around that open-mindedness that getting mob to work with mob while also yeah. working not only um, we'll work with mob but how we can all come together and learn and share um as one to help every everyone you know in terms of whatever their needs are so so for me when i went into rehab there was some aspect that i was removed from society and i was in that therapeutic community so and then I could talk about in the best scenarios in the therapeutic community that would come up, which would be addressed within those moments. But there's nothing like being out in amongst the uh, real world while um, real world life stuff is happening and knowing how to deal with that, let alone how we cope and how do we um, address the things that are coming up while having everything else yeah. coming at us, you know. I mean, and for me, that's where the work and the benefits of the outreach sort of services are where they can be there and working with those sort of things while they're actually happening as best as they can. So so how do you now, I guess it's, you know, is it hard to stay in recovery in years on, like taking those values and those ideas and growing them? Have you created your own um, personal kind of, I guess, recovery program just for Caden built out of the, that time he spent in the buttery? Yeah, for sure. I mean, the time that I had in the buttery and, and some of the stuff that was brought up, like I said, it allowed me to come into contact with myself and started to understand some of the underlying issues, um, barriers that I was facing. Um, and for me, also understanding and normalising some of the stuff that I was thinking also and you know, when for me with some of my journey um, now, it's identifying some of the tools that have helped me in the battery, not only the battery, but then also the benefits of continuing in and around that healing sort of sector. Um, and my journey hasn't been one of abstinence from when I, when I left, but in saying that I, I haven't gone back down those paths that I have, um, but in saying that I have more in my life and stuff that I work towards and I, I value more than anything. Um, so, uh, yeah, my journey is a continuous sort of journey and I know with me that I'm, I'm not perfect. So when I left rehab, I got a call up with the um, national titles and I had that same sort of thinking um, when I went down for the Australian Indigenous titles. And um, So I've, what week were you um, a fighter? Soccer. A soccer, sorry. Yeah, yeah, it? yeah. So... Um, I didn't know that. No one told me that, Kate. That's yeah, incredible. Yeah. So when I was four years old, or actually younger, I always wanted to represent my country and my people. I went to England when I was young and um, and then, yeah, I got sidetracked and, um, yeah, I got sidetracked. And there's a bit of that story that I've shared a little bit earlier. And then as I got out of rehab, I was like, well, I need to fill those spaces again and I was like, well, if I can start to apply some of that sort of thinking and those skill sets into something positive, then anything's possible because, like I said, I had to be quite resilient, determined, um, and, you know, and I'd done that. And when I went down to national titles, which um, I got a call up and got asked to do, I played really well, and then two weeks later, I got a call up and saying, "Oh, congratulations! You made the Australian Indigenous oh squad." So, God. so, and that was always a dream for mine. And it wasn't until I got clean um, and went down that road of finding myself again, but let alone knowing um, 
what I went through to get to where I got to in that sort of moment was just like, you know, and I, I was thinking out on the park when I was playing, it's just like, like you better bring it because I've just gone through, I've just <laughs> gone through hell and back, like suicidal, I've gone through rehab, I've gone through like all this sort of stuff. And it wasn't necessarily in trying to be judgmental against the other player, but it's just my own sort of self-belief. I have my moments where it gets tricky and then I have moments where I'm really aligned with my sort of truth and stuff like that and navigating back in and around for me, back into, um, you know, back into spirit Um and just being the best version of myself as I can. Um, but, yeah, like I said, it's just one of yeah. those sort of things that navigate as best as I can. So we're in bit of yin to yang um, uh, and, and yin to yang, yeah. So that means yama means um, hello, yin to yama, which means love, respect, coming onto this space uh, gently, softly. Mm-hmm. And taking responsibility. Um, wearing better means also to take care of and to help preserve. Um, and Yindi Yang is to continue to look look after and move forward as well. Yeah. Oh, I love that. That's yeah, beautiful. Yeah. That's almost like the ethos of what the battery is about. Yeah, yeah. To look after, you know, people. Right. You know, absolutely. Who are country. That's right. Yeah. To, to preserve, yeah, and that kind of it's a real honouring, which um, which, mm-hmm. I, which I've loved in 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 talking to people and hearing that. And it's not necessarily one of there's so many duplicated services out there as well. And it's I suppose when it comes from that space, it's something that's for me. It's translations in authenticity. It's it's genuine, you know, and mm. it's it's not something like I said that has to be forced or pushed, but it's something that's coming from a space of love and and care as well, you know. And I think those ones are those businesses are quite well received from my experiences in commu- yeah. community and um, the the intentions come through and always oh. we always get looked after from that space. I believe so. Yeah. You have been listening to To Their Door, a podcast that tells the 50-year history of the buttery. Next episode is our last, and for this big finale, we get the lowdown from Leonie Creighton, the current CEO of the buttery. And I also catch up with Matt, one month on from leaving the buttery. What's life look like now with all those new skills? You have been listening to Mandy Nolan and George Katzi. This is an Authentic You media production.